Straight from the Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hi everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, your trusted source for the latest Dubbo Regional Council updates. Unfortunately, Mark Barnes can't join us this week, so we're flying solo, bringing you the inside scoop on council information. So let's dive straight into our topics for this week. During the week, a media release was delivered to media outlets that discussed the remarkable surge in tourism Edo region has witnessed post-COVID-19, propelling central New South Wales' visitation above pre-pandemic levels, and quite significantly, Recent data published by the Tourism and Transport Forum Australia, or TTF, revealed a considerable post-COVID-19 tourism surge in our region. The report showed that visitation to central New South Wales is nearly 11% higher than what we saw before the pandemic struck. This analysis was carried out using anonymous mobility data to comprehend the movement of Aussies across regional tourism areas comparing it to pre-pandemic states to observe the trends in the regional tourism sector. What's heartening to note is that the people of New South Wales prefer holiday within the confines of our own state. Our central New South Wales region has now climbed the ranks to be among the top 10 preferred regional holiday destinations in Australia and I think that's something we can all be pretty proud of. A striking detail from the report is that the visitation rate increased by 11.7% for tourists under 30 years of age. And I think this is testament to the youthful allure and the diverse offerings that our region holds as we have been changing our tourism offerings. The data also spotlighted Dubbo region as the most visited local government area in central New South Wales. This influx of tourists is not only a testament to the natural and cultural wealth of our region, but it's also a significant booster for our local economy and our local businesses, with tourism being a major contributor, injecting approximately $380 million into the Dubbo region annually. This surge is indeed a boon. The timing of this report couldn't have been better as it aligned with the launch of our new Dubbo region visitor guide, which featured 107 local partners. This guide is a concerted effort to continue driving tourist visitation to our region, showcasing an array of leisure providers, accommodation options, retail outlets, cafes and restaurants that make Dubbo such a delightful destination. Furthermore, the guide underscores the strategic partnership through the Great Western Plains Great Big Adventures collaboration, a long enough name I understand, urging visitors to extend their stay and discover the wider region. This uptick in tourism is not just a stat, it's an affirmation of the intrinsic value of the boundless opportunities that our region offers. It highlights the Dubbo region as a top-tier destination, celebrating our unique heritage, natural beauty and the warm hospitality of our community. With the TTF report and our new visitor guide, we're well on the path to becoming or welcoming more visitors, nurturing local businesses and fostering a vibrant community for all. For those keen on exploring what the Dubbo region has to offer, view the new Dubbo region visitor guide on our website or drop by the Dubbo or Wellington Visitor Information Centres or wait until it's delivered to your mailbox. Every person in the Dubbo Regional Council LGA will receive a copy. 
During the week, the Innovative Water Portal app was unveiled, a pivotal step by Council in advancing water conservation and management in our community. I am excited to introduce this transformative tool that the Dubbo Regional Council has launched to help monitor and manage water usage across our community. It's called the Water Portal app. This is a free application that can be downloaded to your mobile device, offering a seamless way to keep an eye on the water usage at your property, your business, or the facility that you might be in charge of. The significance of responsible water management cannot be overstated, especially in our region where every drop counts. The Water Portal app is a testament of the Council's unwavering commitment to fostering sustainable water use and ensuring our natural resources are utilised judiciously. Now, every resident and business within the Dubbo Regional Council local government area who has a smart water device attached can access this app. This initiative is not limited to property owners. Tenants can also utilise this platform. They will need permission from their landlord and they can use that to monitor their water consumption. What makes this application a remarkable tool is its near real-time monitoring feature. You can check your daily water usage as quickly as the day after you've used that water and that empowers you to devise strategies to cut down on consumption, ultimately contributing to our collective efforts in water conservation. Moreover, the app is designed to send email and SMS alerts directly to registered users about potential water leaks or high consumption within days of these issues occurring. This timely notification can be invaluable in preventing water wastage. Previously, if you wanted to monitor your water usage, it was done through the My DRC Water Portal desktop version. But the advent of the Water Portal app simplifies this process significantly, making it much easier and convenient to track water usage on the go. The app can give you daily, weekly or monthly reports of water usage, and you have the ability to set alerts for potential leaks or high consumption, as I mentioned. Users can track trends and find ways to reduce water usage both at home and in the workplace. This information is crucial in instigating changes that foster water conservation, a cause that resonates with the core values of our community. So I encourage everyone to download the Water Portal app from the App Store for Apple users or Google Play for Android users just by searching Water Portal, P-O-R-T-A-L for portal. Together, we can embrace this innovative tool to make a positive impact in our water management practices and create a sustainable future for Dubbo. An exciting component of the renewables push will be the lasting legacies left by the government and proponents. So I want to give you an update on the REACT project, which is a potential training and tourism facility in Wellington focused on advancing our renewable energy frontier. The REACT project is a visionary endeavour and aimed at ushering in a new era of renewable energy expertise and tourism for our region. Our mission is simple yet impactful to foster a sustainable, skilled workforce while promoting tourism, thus contributing to a green economy. In the upcoming weeks, our CEO has scheduled preliminary meetings with various organisations, including Squadron, Light Source BP, Tilt Renewables, and the Department of Regional New South Wales. The essence of these discussions revolves around the formulation of a robust business case as mandated by our resolution from Council. The expertise and data required for this crucial document predominantly resides within these organisations. Hence, our strategy is to synergise their knowledge and resources to draft a compelling pitch. 
These interactions will serve as the stepping stones towards constructing a solid foundation for our high-level business case. This will be a document that not only epitomises our collective vision, but showcases the tangible benefits and the long-term value the REACT project holds for Wellington and the region. Furthermore, our initiative aligns seamlessly with the Australian Government's policies. For example, the Australian Skills Guarantee is a significant commitment under the Secure Australian Jobs Plan. This policy harnesses government investments in major projects to mould the next generation of skilled professionals. Our project, REACT, combines this ethos by aiming to be a crucible for skills development in the renewable energy sector. This document, crafted in response to our resolution, will significantly bolster our ability to lobby for financial support from the Australian Government, as well as state air government and various proponents. It's an exciting juncture as we collaborate to craft a sustainable narrative for Wellington, making strides towards a future where our locality is recognised as a hub for renewable education and ecotourism. This venture is more than just a project. It's a testament to our collective ambition to foster a sustainable, prosperous community. We want to make Wellington the epitome of renewable innovation and a beacon of ecotourism. While we're on renewables in Wellington, I want to talk about a pivotal discussion we had about the future of renewable energy in Wellington and the potential positive impacts on our community. We're constantly taking significant steps forward in our journey towards sustainable energy and its implications for our community. This week, we held a crucial workshop with our councillors and two specific proponents to discuss a community benefits fund tied to two specific battery projects. The heart of this workshop was to set the stage for the final negotiations of the planning agreements, or often called VPAs, for two particular battery energy storage systems, BEWS. These projects, spearheaded by two separate multinationals, represent not only a stride towards a greener future, but also an opportunity for local economic enrichment. During the workshop, we received detailed presentations from the representatives of both companies. They, out they outlined their business cases and the contributions proposed within their planning agreements. It's important to note that these agreements are more than just financial commitments. They're pledges to the future welfare and prosperity of our community. We find ourselves at a critical juncture where the decisions we make now will have a lasting impact. Both companies indicated that their initial offers are substantial, in their view, and reflect early negotiations with our council staff. They've emphasised their commitment, pointing out that they had already entered into binding agreements that set a floor price, ensuring their business cases remain robust for investors. This means that significant adjustments to their contributions at this stage are fraught with a number of complexities. It's also crucial to understand the economics behind these projects. Astonishingly, 80% of the project costs are tied up just in the batteries themselves, which underscores the scale of investment and the potential long-term benefits for Wellington. We distill the information from these presentations into a simplified summary for each project. At this preliminary stage, it seems the offers on the table are the result of diligent negotiations and with our councillors expressing initial support, but of course no final decision has been made. I've said it a number of times, workshops are to have discussions, council meetings are to make final resolutions. 
As we move towards the ordinary November meeting of council, councillors will further consider the information presented against the best outcomes for our community. The details of managing the funds and where the money will be best used will be discussed and decided at a future date. But of course, it'll be transparent and accountable and deliver the best outcomes for our community. Remember, these developments are not just about renewable energy and solving the future energy needs of this state, this nation and this planet. They're about ensuring that as we embrace technological advancement, we also secure a prosperous, sustainable legacy for the generations of Wellington to come. Stay tuned for more information on these ones. Now I want to give you an update regarding the Wellington Waste Facility following the regrettable fire that occurred in September. As you may recall, in the early hours of the 23rd of September this year, a fire ravaged the office at the Wellington Waste Facility. The subsequent investigation revealed that the, um, the malicious intent of arson, however, the culprits remain at large due to the unfortunate loss of CCTV footage that was stored on hard drives within the building, but those, of course, are now reduced to ashes. This loophole has now been plugged as we channel our CCTV images to an off-site storage facility ensuring that we've got a robust security framework moving forward. The aftermath saw the raised building being demolished with an insurance claim filed. Our resilient staff are not deterred though. A mobile site office has been properly set up. That happened the next day after the fire and that now finds its place on the slab where the old building stood. We've reconnected that to essential utilities like power, water and sewer. And this arrangement is envisioned to serve us for the next 12 months as we start to plan the transformation of the Wellington Waste Facility's landfill operations into a transfer station. This transition is critical to ensure the reconstructed facility is well aligned with our future needs, embodying a design that stands the test of time. A notable challenge at our facility has been its reliance on off-grid power solutions, operating on a blend of limited solar power coupled with battery storage and a diesel generator for backup, not ideal. The blueprint for the rebuild encompasses augmentation of our power generation and storage capacity. This is not merely a remedial measure, but an avenue to address the long-standing issue of handling deceased domestic animals. Currently, all disposals of deceased domestic animals are directed to the Wallandra Waste and Recycling Facility, which is not ideal for Wellington people. This facility is equipped for immediate and proper disposal. The interim solution entails the installation of a chest freezer at Wellington Waste Facility and facilitating the temporary storage of deceased animals before they're transferred to Wallandra. The proposed enhancement in power infrastructure will be instrumental in realising this objective, making a significant stride towards a comprehensive waste management solution. In this vein, I implore your support and understanding as we navigate through the recuperation and enhancement phase, ensuring our community emerges stronger and more resilient from these challenges. I want to discuss recent advancements at Keswick Estate, shedding some light on the strides made with Stage 5 Release 2 lot registrations, and this is a significant milestone. I am excited to announce the update on the progress at Keswick Estate, especially now that lots are registered under Stage 5 Release 2. This is a significant step forward 
and the manifestation of this can already be seen through these sold stickers adorning many of the Keswick parcels. A clear signal to the community that we're seeing progress now that lots are registered. Our team has been working to ensure Keswick Estate continues to thrive and evolve. To keep everyone informed and engaged, a myriad of marketing initiatives are being rolled out. Our revamped Keswick Estate website now displays the available lot listings. We've also leveraged the power of social media to announce the land registration through organic posts alongside campaigns aimed at bolstering our mailing list signups and promoting the newly registered land. A picture of worth is worth a thousand words, of course, but a video, especially one from a bird's eye view, tells a fully, fuller story. We have created captivating drone footage, a rich B-roll that has been provided to real estate agents to assist in their promotion efforts. Similarly, individual lot tiles and a promotional video have been shared with real estate agents, further aiding them in showcasing the potential of Keswick Estate to prospective buyers. We've updated the signage on Cobra Street to reflect the current registration status and installed signage on each lot. Additionally, the billboard signage just inside Stage 5 Release 2 is set to be reskinned within the coming weeks, mirroring the ongoing progress. Our outreach doesn't stop there. We've scheduled a half-page advertisement in the Day Liberal for the 15th of November, and that should reach a broader audience and share the promising opportunities that Keswick Estate holds. It is heartening to witness the enthusiasm and trust from the community, and we are committed to keeping the momentum going. Ensuring Keswick Estate flourishes as a prime choice for home seekers and investors alike. The continuous progress at Keswick Estate underscores the concerted efforts of a variety of stakeholders, including us, obviously, in ensuring that we meet the housing needs of the community. You may remember the auction of the unregistered blocks of land that took place in October 2022, both online and at the Western Plains Cultural Centre. The auctions included the 52 blocks of land some being dual lots and spanned over three auction dates. Following those auctions, Council resolved to sell the remaining lots of Keswick Estates Stage 5 Release 2 by private treaty. These lots range in size from 601.9 square metres up to 941.2 square metres, and they're all listed on the Keswick Estate website. Keep in mind that Keswick is spelt K-E-S-W-I-C-K. The engagement of local real estate agents in promoting and selling land in Keswick further amplifies the collaborative effort to increase exposure and sales. The price point for blocks of land starts from approximately $223,000 and it provides a range of options for different buyer budgets, making Keswick an attractive choice for home seekers and investors alike. Council previously resolved to ask for expressions of interest for the significant parcel of land at 154 Talbragar Street, opposite the swimming pool, but that actually hasn't occurred yet. So I want to give you an update on the EIR process related to 154 Talbragar Street. We want to market this parcel and we're going through the preparation to ensure a transparent and beneficial transaction for all stakeholders involved. The marketing campaign is in the pipeline, however, we've encountered a minor hurdle that necessitates being addressed in good faith before proceeding. The core issue lies in the absence of a sewer system along the length of the block of 154 Talbragar Street. I'm not sure if this was thoroughly investigated before Dubbo Regional Council previously purchased this block of land that was on the previous council. There exists a sewer connection that concludes the Audi boundary but goes no further. Extending this connection through the conventional road corridor is unfeasible 
due to a number of assets, predominantly telecommunications infrastructure, which occupies the underground space in that vicinity. The resolution we envisage is the incorporation of an easement for the sewer system within the actual pass of land, and that'll be three metres wide. This will be a crucial step to ensure the basic amenities are in place, making the parcel functional for prospective buyers or organisations that wish to lease the land. The draft EOI, which will be an integral part of this process, is structured to garner a comprehensive understanding of the intentions and visions of the interested parties. We've already been receiving interest from a diverse range of sources. Local entities have shown enthusiasm for portions of the parcel, and we've also been approached by a significant external organisation which has expressed interest in acquiring the entire site. Now, this interest is encouraging and genuine, but our team is working on fine-tuning the marketing pitch to extend the opportunity beyond the local scope and into broader markets. The OER document will be designed to invite applicants to articulate their proposed utilisation of the site alongside any additional benefits that could be bestowed upon Council and our LGA, delivering more than just financial gains. But with that easement, we thought that it was best to sort that issue out before we went out and advertised that. So stay tuned for more information on this parcel and the EOI, and in particular, if you're interested in acquiring or leasing that parcel of land. Now, swimming pools has been one of the issues that people have been discussing in the last few weeks, maybe the last month or so in our LGA with the management of our swimming pools, our three swimming pools under the care of Belgravia. Now, many people would be aware about that. Belgravia Leisure won the contract to manage the three swimming pools. At these initial teething stages, our staff have been conducting weekly meetings with Belgravia to ensure smooth operations, and they haven't been smooth to this stage. Our new pool managers have been tirelessly addressing challenges, especially those concerning staff vacancies. Their dedication to augment these services while upholding high standards of patron supervision is commendable. In the past week alone, they've welcomed 12 new staff members who have completed their onboarding obligations and additional lifeguards are set to join the team imminently. I'm also pleased to announce that the new cafe menu for the Devo Aquatic Leisure Centre has been confirmed and is set to be introduced by the 10th of November this year. At Wellington, the kiosk is now operational and is now offering hot food to visitors. Meanwhile, Geary is in the final stages of preparation for its seasonal opening. The kiosk is fully stocked and ready to serve, and that aligns with Geary's more limited season compared to Wellington and Dubbo, which is normal, nothing to do with the fact that Belgravia have taken it over. It is important to mention a slight hiccup at the Devo Aquatic Leisure Centre where the water slide is temporarily unavailable due to pump issues. We, alongside Belgravia, are meticulously working through different solutions to resolve this hardware problem at the earliest. And there have been several hardware problems at the Devo Aquatic Leisure Centre, which would have been issues regardless of whether or not Devo Council was still managing the facility or whether someone external, such as Belgravia, was managing that facility. On another note, the Wellington Aquatic Leisure Centre recently underwent a swimming pool inspection, particularly following last year's complaints regarding a family of ducks residing in the area. This season, a concern was raised about duck droppings around the pool. The issue has been acknowledged and appropriate measures have been put in place to manage this risk while respecting our native wildlife. Following an inspection by the Dubbo Public Health Unit on the 17th of October, 
it was confirmed the centre is operating in accordance with the New South Wales Public Health Regulation 2022, which ensures a safe and enjoyable environment for all patrons. Our collaborative efforts with Belgravia and various community stakeholders are geared towards a safe, enjoyable and community-centric aquatic experience. We remain committed to keeping you informed and ensuring that our recreational facilities continue to serve as a cornerstone of our community wellbeing. I want to delve into the pre-polling period for our local government elections in September 2024 and the implications of a recent legislative amendment on early voting. I know it does seem early, but discussions have already started around the election for next year. One important element in our democratic process is the early voting period, which is a significant part of our electoral system, which tries to ensure that each person has the opportunity to cast their vote regardless of their circumstances on election day. Now, our local government elections in September 2024 are already on the horizon, and there's a discussion regarding the duration of the pre-polling period. A legislative amendment back in November 2022 altered the early voting period for the 2023 New South Wales state government election, and it reduced from two weeks to one week. With the surge in early voters, it necessitated a substantial increase in the number of early voting centres to accommodate the demand. The ripple effects of this amendment are now reaching the local government level. A recent survey was conducted among councils to gauge the preference for the length of the pre-poll period for the September 2024 election. The results have been shared with the Minister for Local Government and he will consider those results. The data revealed that 37% of councils would prefer a one-week pre-poll period while a majority, 63%, preferred the traditional two-week period. The concerns and preferences are varied, but are rooted in the desire to ensure a smooth voting process for all. Cost implications are intertwined with this discussion. A shorter pre-poll period may ease the financial burden, but it's a delicate balance to maintain, ensuring that all voters have ample opportunity to exercise their democratic right. The New South Wales Electoral Commission will continue to liaise with councils, weighing the costs and the benefits to ascertain the most suitable duration for early voting. The final decision will be made by the Minister for Local Government and that will significantly impact how the election is organised by the Electoral Commission. It's a dialogue that underscores the adaptive nature of our electoral system, constantly evolving to meet the needs and expectations of our community. Stay tuned for more information as the election date draws closer. Another important matter for the New South Wales Electoral Commission is the recruitment of returning officers for the local government elections in September 2024. And they've asked councils across the state to help advertise that process, hence me discussing it on the podcast today. The New South Wales Electoral Commission has begun its recruitment drive for returning officers for the local government elections scheduled for September next year. This event is billed as one of the largest events in our state for the year. The local government elections are a cornerstone of our democracy, offering a platform for every citizen to have their voice heard. Returning officers play a pivotal role in ensuring the integrity and smooth operation of this electoral process. The responsibilities are vast, ranging from managing the polling stations to ensuring that the vote count is accurate and fair. Opportunities abound across various districts and regions within New South Wales. This is a statewide initiative, 
aiming to rope in capable individuals from every corner of our state. The goal is to ensure that every local government area is adequately staffed with competent returning officers to oversee the elections. It's imperative that the Electoral Commission receives a substantial number of applications to fill these positions. A robust recruitment drive is the foundation of a successful election. The deadline for the applications is fast approaching. Sunday, 12th of November this year. I find that incredible that the applications close November this year for September elections next year. If you have an interest in this opportunity, you can find more information and submit your application by searching for, if you just type in Hudson Electoral Commission 2024 in Google or your preferred search engine, that'll give you that site. This is more than a job, it's a call to serve your community and ensure that our democratic processes run smoothly and transparently. The recruitment drives an invitation to become part of something bigger, to contribute to the very fabric of our society. Not just about the conduct of free and fair elections, but about fostering a culture of active participation and civic responsibility. So, if you have the dedication and integrity to contribute towards a fair electoral process, I wholeheartedly encourage you to apply on behalf of the New South Wales Electoral Commission. So that brings us to the end of Straight from the Mayor's Mouth this week, a shorter edition this week, a few less topics, but also without Mark participating, it reduces the amount of conversation and back and forth, which makes each topic just that little bit shorter. But of course, I still get to do my Limerick of the Week. And the most exciting thing from the podcast this week is the water usage app. So I wrote my Limerick this week with a focus on that. So here we go. There's a smart way to monitor taps that can help fill the water usage gaps. Get the app on your phone and you'll soon be shown how to avoid any water mishaps. Well, that's it for another edition of Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. I look forward to bringing you the latest news to you next week. Standing committee meetings are this Thursday night, so tune in for those meetings, and you'll hear again from me in a week's time. Straight from the Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.